Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
gentlemen and welcome to getting it out podcast that was street tombs from santa fe new mexico the song was called rising torment and it's off of their new cdlp cassette digital release reclusive decay dropping on carbonized records this february 17th an excellent combination of bolt thrower-esque death metal combined with d-beat style punk rock this street tombs record is pretty awesome you're gonna like it I'm going to love it. You can choose to love it too if you spend time with it. Carbonized Records continues to release excellent death metal records. How I feel are kind of like bands that are about to break. Bands that are about to break through. I don't know if they're always going to be that type of label, but for now they are. And I think that's very cool. I believe it's run by Chad Gailey, the drummer of Necrot, but uh, I could be wrong. But that's that's what I think's happened. Anyway, Reclusive Decay by Street Tombs out February 17th. Carbonized Records, check it out. On this episode of the podcast, I've got an interview with Cody Davidson of Sanguisugabog. We're talking about their new record, Homicidal Ecstasy, and I'm doling back some punishment for making me struggle to pronounce a word or two. But first, hot zone. Check it! Make family out of friends, make friends out of enemies! Peace to my family, make friends till they bury all the places we've been! We're never sitting it out, we be getting it! You're getting it out, and then all the places we've been, we're never sitting it out. We'll be getting it in. Why are you getting it out? I've run out of things to complain about, and I think that's probably a good thing. That's usually where I put uh, all those thoughts, they go right here. I try not to project them out to the people around me. 
So I do it directly to the people I don't even know that listen to this podcast, but I can't think of any complaints at the moment. Um, sports are good. Family's good. Why do I put sports first? You know, because that's what I usually talk about here. I'm not going to tell you about my family on here. That's not for you, strangers. Music's good. New album on the way from Sanguasugabog. Homicidal Ecstasy drops uh, February 3rd, I want to say is the date. And uh, it's rife with all the things you've come to expect from the band. Uh, some of the things you probably hate about some of the things you might love about the band. I don't really know where people stand with these guys. I don't really care as usual. I like what I like and don't care what other people think, but I do recognize that they can be kind of polarizing. I know some people think of them as dumbed down death metal, and I think that's inaccurate. And I think in my conversation with Cody Davidson, who is not only their drummer, but uh, handles production duties as well, uh, you'll find there's a lot more thought into this band than you might have imagined or suspected. Or maybe you know, and you're just a dick. That's a good possibility, too. I also got a little revenge from trying to figure out how to say Sangu Sugabog all these years and had him participate in the pronunciation be against returning champion Nicholas Pentabona of Bedtime Magic. I don't know how often this game is going to be popping back up, but that's uh, twice in two weeks, I think. I don't expect that, but you know, you get the drift. If it's if it fits, it'll happen. This conversation is pretty long, so I want to get right to it. But first, I want to play you a track from Homicidal Ecstasy. Let's go with Pissed. There's a single out there. It is a safe for work video as opposed to a non-safe for work video. Not safe. Who's watching videos at work, huh? I don't know. But here, listen to the track Pissed. We'll go straight into the pronunciation B and then my conversation with Cody.
right, Cody. First word. S-O-L-D-E-R. Um, yeah, this is solder. Let's check the Google pronunciation. Solder. That was absolutely correct. See, easy one, easy win for you on that one. Well, I got to get him now, too. So I'm going to bounce over to him now, give him the same I'm a, thing. I'm a guitar player, bro. I <laughs> <laughs> for sure that's that's i thought it might go in your favor all right now i'm going to jump over to nick quick and ask him the same one how do you feel about this one you're you're this is the first attempt to retain the title yeah you know i i feel i feel confident i feel confident this is something this is one of my skills so i feel confident real simple one you know how it goes start easy then get harder that's what she said first word okay s O L D E R. Solder. Solder. Correct. There you go. Cody. Yes. Second word gets a little little more difficult, but not uh not impossible yet. How are you feeling about uh about your chances here? I don't know, dude. I, I failed English. I'm like a math guy. So <laughs> So, oh wow! See. I would do, I would do terrible with math. So, um, well, I mean, so the thing about it, I'm in a band called Sing Sugabog. Obviously, I don't know what the fuck English is. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's very fair, and it's a, g- a great point too. Uh, I didn't. Is is it is it a word? By the way, no, no. Okay, I didn't think so. All right, so it's a combination uh, of a few. Gotcha. Okay, you ready for this spelling? A N T E N N A E Antenna. Let's hear what Google has to say. Antennae. Antennae. Ooh. Tricky one. You know, you know what the difference is. Is that is the plural? Is this multiple antennae? Right. That's it. That's it. All right. One for one. Not too bad. I've seen worse starts. Nick, I'm doing my best. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Thank you. What are you doing while you wait? Uh, I am. We had a show on Friday night, so I'm setting up our equipment again. Oh, I thought you were like studying. You had a dictionary out. Uh, no. You were flashcards. <laughs> nah, nothing like that. <laughs> well, you know. All right. Okay. You ready for word number two? Yes. All right. A N T E N N A E. Antennae. Let's hear it. Antennae. Antennae. Yeah, yeah, I think that's more accurate. I think I got that one wrong. Well, according to Google, you absolutely got that one wrong, but I don't know. That's uh that's your first miss. That's uh what, overall yeah, you're what? It's the Latin stuff, you know. Is that Latin? Yeah. I think I'm doing all right. I'm five, yeah, I'm like 4 out of 5. That's not bad. Yeah, no, that's that's a pretty good uh, overall record. But yeah. uh, you know, let's see. What's Let me get over him with this last one and then uh, we'll see if you're going to retain the title or not. Okay, sounds good. All right. Last one. And I'd have to say this one's the most difficult, but uh, might be a 
Might be one you're familiar with. Hit me. S Y N E S T H E S I A. S Y N E S T H E S I A. That's right. Is that right? Yeah. Synesthesia. Synesthesia. Yeah, I don't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) Saying the Superbog. That's what it says. (laughs) In a way, that's what everything says, you know? Right. All right, let's hear what it let's hear what it is. Synesthesia. Damn, you know, I wanted to say that, but there's no T at the end. So I was like, where is that stesia? Oh, I see it now. Yeah. No, I, I see. I, about, I understand uh, the thought process. Synthesis or something, you know, photosynthesis. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That's a, I, I, I understand where you went with that one. And I don't blame you. I would probably would have went the same way. Because the funny thing is about these is that I don't know how to say them. I learn as you learn. Well, I think I have to quit my band now since I can't pronounce <laughs> these words all that good. <laughs> no, I think it's been a good run. I think you're safe. Yeah. <laughs> Official resignation. I think I'm going to do it. How do you think he's done so far? I th- I think he's gotten one. He, yeah, he got solder, but I don't think he got intenoid or whatever. I mean, he's in a band called Sangwasugabog. He's Ew. used to having to pronounce things. It's true. Margaritaville. Yeah. He's in a band called Margaritaville. You should know how to do this. <laughs> you should know how to drink margaritas, Jimmy Buffett style. Yeah. All right. Speaking of Jimmy Buffett style, this word has nothing to do with Jimmy Buffett. And it's spelled like this S Y N E S T H E S I A. Synesthesia. Let's hear it. Synesthesia. I think that's correct. Yes. That's a pretty, pretty solid run. My, my ex ex wife, cause I've been divorced twice. Uh, <laughs> she, uh, used to date a guy that had that synesthesia. So, wow. That's, you know, and, and look, it, it served you well. It did. I remembered it all these years. <laughs> well, uh, you are once again going to find out who won in just a minute. <laughs> You have me a hype time. You are once again going to find out. Who <laughs> <laughs> That's the idea. No. The master of suspense. Cody, you've returned. Have I? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you have. Okay. And uh, the the game is over. And the winner is repeating as champion. Yes. Of bedtime magic. Cody, it was a good game. Thank you so much for participating. I feel I feel honored to have kept my title this way. Hey man, if I could slap your ass, I would. Thank you. That's I wish more people would say that to me. <laughs> good game. Yeah, good game. All right, gentle folk, you have a great night. I'll uh, I'll see you again to keep my title. So yeah, thanks for playing. All right, Cody, no more games. Now it's time for uh, serious business. But thanks. Thanks for playing along. I never thought I would be greeted, defeated, and then tossed to the sides so easily by 
somebody dubbed Schlongify, but that was exciting. <laughs> well, hey, uh, let's let's talk about um, this new record, Homicidal Ecstasy. You have a lot to do with it. You have more to do with it than most band members do with an album. How long has this one been in process? And uh, are you glad to finally be getting it out here? Yeah, so I did multiple duties on the last album too. So um, it's not necessarily something out of the norm. But I have been working on this one since... Um, I think I want to say not, not last June, but the June before that, I think is when we started writing. Um, and it was like still COVID era. Like we weren't playing shows yet. We were kind of waiting for the horn, but the horn arrived and we had, I think we had just one song written, which was Necrosexual Deviant. And we did a studio video that we recorded like during COVID or not necessarily during COVID, but um, during the period where nobody was touring. And that kind of helped get a little excitement about us writing new music and stuff like that. Um, Saying with Sugabog, I don't know when exactly you first got on my radar, but you're definitely a band that um, is noticeable when it gets on someone's radar. How do I say that correctly? Like with the, with the illegible logo, with the bizarre name, with the themes of your you know lyrics, your imagery, it's absolutely a way to get on people's radar with all the other shit that's out there. Was that an intentional thing to be over the top and, and visually interesting to uh, make an impact when you started the band? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the illegible logo thing, is definitely like akin to the style of music we knew we wanted to play, which is death metal in some form. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, I'm more interested in like, um, I guess I shouldn't say more interested, but I'm more fond of gore grind and, um, brutal death metal, which also have as aesthetic choices that are a little bit more intentionally, bizarre or forward um so i didn't um i didn't come up with the logo but definitely you know when i saw it i was like yeah that that's fucking sweet and um and yes it was like intentionally illegible it's like kind of funny but at the same time kind of just like uh you know if you're gonna do it go big or go home type of attitude yeah, and um, earlier on, the imagery was not as discussed. Um, mm. Like with pornographic seizures, we kind of just found an artist who we liked and stuck with him for a while. And then um, you know, COVID happened, and we kind of were trying to figure out what we were going to do after that. And um, that's when we got into the imagery that you'll see for Homicidal Ecstasy. We found um, this artist named Caleb Butcher. And we bought these two pieces that were... Um, they're, they're in the booklet that comes with the vinyl. Um, we dubbed them Robot Girls. But that's not necessarily descriptive enough because there's quite a bit of 
um, women on our collages. So I can't exactly for the listeners describe which ones I'm talking about, but long story short, we bought one piece or two pieces together and we bought, we like made flags out of it and t-shirt designs. And those ended up being like our best selling merch items when we, um, started touring finally. And it was also the one that we kind of felt was like different enough and fit this new approach that we were, you know, going towards. And it was a conscious decision to be like, Hey, like I don't see any brutal death metal or death metal bands using this kind of imagery right now. Um, so after a few months, we kind of were like, well, maybe we can do more stuff like that. And, you know, we were going back and forth of like what kind of album art we wanted. And we weren't really sure and kind of got to the point where we were like, well, this feels like home because we've already been using this for the last six to eight months of touring. And the timeline I'm talking about is like we were getting ready to record the album when we were discussing what kind of like album art we wanted. And we had already had a few of Caleb's collages purchased and in circulation and we just kind of felt like well this is drastic change enough and it also already feels comfortable to us and it already kind of like we've been looking at these images the whole time we wrote the album so right. in that way i think um moving forward it was like okay this is going to be like our vibe for now and you know we asked Caleb to produce like six or seven more images intentionally for the album and then we kind of just picked one of the one of the collages that we felt like would be the most like fitting for us, but also the most, um, you know, maybe accessible as an album cover because some of them have nudity and some of them have like, I don't know, like gore and like images that may not be appropriate on YouTube, may get flagged on Facebook, stuff like that. So that's how we landed with the cover that you see now for homicidal ecstasy. But, um, yeah, definitely moving forward. This is, you know, we've, we've always been into bands that intentionally use grotesque and over the top imagery. And we just wanted to find a way to do that in a unique way. I mean, we're not the first band to use collages, but I do think Caleb's collages are a lot different than like the kind of gore grind or, carcass-esque album covers you would see you know so so yeah it, it is an intentional thing yeah i would say i see exactly what you're talking about the uh and i would just as you were talking i was looking over the album artwork and the the merch stuff you have up on the website the flag and i do see what you're talking about i don't think i noticed that it was such a deviation because i was only looking on little you know little phone screens but now that i see i'm able to blow it up it is very cool those collages and, uh, you know, I, I, and a lot of it makes sense. And I think it's, I think it's an interesting thing to hear somebody from a band like yourselves where everything is over the top and intentionally so, but also hear that there's real thought into how it's going to work. As in, like you mentioned, will it be flagged on YouTube? Can it be on a, on an album cover? And I think that a lot of people don't even consider that you guys are essentially censoring yourselves in a way, but in a way that works for you. Yeah. It's for from like, um, from like weekend warrior style bands who like full-time touring band 
And, um, you know, now there's more people involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's like, even like we just got done touring Europe and the company, the merch company who per like who produced our merch, they were willing to produce the merch and, and sell it to us to sell, but they won't take the leftovers because they think they're too grotesque and too, <laughs> um, I don't know if pornographic would be the right word, but um, yeah, like they won't sell the leftovers. So we're, we're currently trying to figure out what we're going to do with these leftover merch items that are sitting in Europe, you know, overseas, <laughs> and it's going to cost a, a fortune to even get them. So we're trying to figure out what we're going to do about that. So, you know, it's stuff like that where it's like, you know, maybe we want to be like, well, fuck that. We're going to do whatever we want and we're going to make this as we can. But then it's like, well, you're actually shooting yourself in the foot because now we can't advertise and promote the way we really want to because of the limitations of everybody else's sensitive um, protection of their own entities. You know, like, I guess, I guess the way I would think about it is like, how is that merch company? Apparently, they don't want to sell it because they think it's going to do something bad for their rep or make people turned off. So... You know, that's stuff that we like don't want to consider, but we have to. And that's just being realistic about it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's essentially just like a, a mature way of dealing. Like, it's, it's like you have to, you have to do it that way. Like, not that you, I mean, you could, you'd be like, but you, like you mentioned, you'd be fucking yourself over. So, so no need to do that. But I was thinking about when I was watching the video for Face Ripped Off that you guys just put out. That's pretty, that's pretty gory. Right. And I don't know what YouTube standards are. And I know that's where everybody watches music videos now. It's the only place I ever see them. Are there things, are there things like when you're shooting that, when you're putting that together that you have to consider, will this actually be able to be played? Yeah. Well, um, so the thing about the Stephen Brodsky videos was we had to make a clear request to, to, um, have one that is safe for work and one that is not safe. For work, for example, our first music videos we did with Trauma Entertainment for Tortured Hole, and not only that, but we also did a cartoon, and even the cartoon was flagged on YouTube. And it's not that I wasn't available, but it's that people had to have an account, verify their age before they could view it, and that was something we didn't think about. So that was one of those shoot yourself in the foot scenarios mm-hmm. where the you know, the video rolls out, the label's really excited about it. Trauma's excited about it. We're excited about it. But then we don't get the response we can possibly get mainly because if you don't have a YouTube account, you can't even look at it. Mm. Um, but, you know, we still didn't want to, like you said, like um, sacrifice or completely submit. So that's why Pissed is more, you know, there's nothing challenging going on and then face ripped off it's like as challenging as we could possibly get working with steven the most gory over the top video that he could produce for this year like he was he was verbally saying that while we were shooting it you know so um it was cool that he was i mean he's he's pretty funny because he was totally like i don't give a fuck what anybody thinks i'm gonna do what i want to do and we were like well (laughs) yeah but this is you know Good for you, Mr. Brodsky. But for us, we have to actually, we're not, we don't have an established enough name to not do that, you know? So, but I think, you know, I'm happy with what we, with the compromise we made, I guess, you know? If I could have two videos, 
where somebody's getting their face ripped off, I'd, I'll totally would. But. <laughs> but it's why you need to write face ripped off again. Right. Well, okay, so, so, I know it's, I mean, it's pretty obvious, pretty evident that humor plays a part in Sanguasugabog and, uh, and obviously the horror and everything, but what, how much of the, the band and the way it exists now was the way you imagined it existing when you guys got together? Because I also feel like homicidal ecstasy is, uh, is the band at its most serious too. Yeah, that was a conscious decision too. Um, well, you know, I'll be honest. When we started, it was really a side project that we didn't think was going to take off at all. It was probably the last project of all of us because we're all in different bands that we thought was going to promote any kind of or produce any kind of buzz. Mm-hmm. And like immediately, like as soon as Pornographic Seizures came out, it became the biggest band that any of us were in. And, um, you know, as far as humor goes, like we were so like Mortician has a dedicated fan ba- uh, fan page on Facebook called I Make Memes While Listening to Mortician. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all love Mortician, thought those memes were really funny. It's all about talking about Mortician being the heaviest, coolest band on the universe and everybody else fucking sucks compared to them. And, you know, it's obviously in good fun, but we were like, that's pretty cool. And that's pretty funny. And we just came out, had one song out. And I told Devin, I was like, dude, we should have our own meme page because it's even funnier for us to act like we're the biggest band in the universe. And we're not. We just came out. Nobody even knows who we are. So Devin's definitely better at memeing than I am. So Devin kind of like took this idea and ran with it. And... um I think that helps a lot with our initial buzz too. And as far as like humor goes, not taking yourself too seriously and also just kind of, um, you know, having some fun with it and not acting like we're going to get huge. Like, you know, just acting like we're doing this for fun. We're doing this for the right reasons, not because it's not a cash grab OSDM revival band. It's literally just us having some fun with it. And um, I think like people resonated with that. And um, that's kind of why we decided to go with Troma and do like a cartoon instead of like a lyric video and stuff like that. You know, we wanted to like stay true to what we think is cool, but also like not not think of like, oh, we're getting signed to Century Media. Now we need to be like the most fucking serious and like put our belts on, stop sagging our pants. Like, you know, we didn't want to do that. We wanted to have the same kind of attitude because we felt like that 180 flip would be kind of off-putting. So we did that. And, you know, it did, it did like kind of like let everybody know, Hey, we're here to kind of like put a foot in the mainstream's ass, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, not necessarily shooting yourselves in the foot, but just trying to stay, stay true while having this, like, um, I don't know, like, this moment where you feel like you're re- realizing your music career, you know, but, but at the same time, you know, just cause we all knew that just getting signed to a big label doesn't really mean shit. Like it doesn't mean that you're going to blow up. doesn't mean that your tours are going to do good. doesn't mean you're going to sell good. All it means is you now have some more support. That's all it means. Mm-hmm. So we were aware of that and we kind of like wanted to 
let our fans know that we were aware of that in, in some kind of way, you know? Um, like I remember being on the, f- the video call with Century Media with Philip, the owner, and he's like, he wants to watch this sign the contract. You know, he's really excited. Mike Gitter's there. And we're like signing the contract, smoking weed, and like we keep moving Mike Gitter. <laughs> and like, just like, you know, trying to like be human beings and not like, not like, uh, like you're a business class or something, you know, just try to try to let them know, like, this is a, this is a part of who we are, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, that was, that was always there, but yeah, it, we are getting to the point now where we want to be taken a little bit more seriously. We want to make music a little more intricate, more interesting, more true to how we really feel. Because like I said, when we started the band, it was more about having fun. Well, now it's like this is shaping out to be a, a real reflection of who we are to most people. And when you have only one major outlet to reflect yourself, well, it feels kind of funny if you're only reflecting half of yourself. Like, yeah, we're unserious people sometimes, but we're also serious people at the same time. So, you know, at first it was like, let's stress that this is about fun and being true to yourself. Well, now it's like, well, what does being true to yourself mean? It's not just about being fun, you know? So then we had to think about, well, you know, if we just immediately get serious in some kind of fashion, will that be a problem? And how can we do it in a way that doesn't feel like forced and doesn't feel like we're going back on everything we've said, you know? So we still have, I don't know, like going forward, we still have all of what we've originally had humor we still make a fuck ton of memes we still make fun of ourselves but now we we understand that the metal community has kind of like at some point pinned us down to be only that you know right and um that's kind of our pushback against that you know and we're all like i don't know there's we just have something that we want to say you know um and with the the new lineup, it's been in a bigger, um, I don't want to say challenge, but it's been a bigger intention to be representative of like the group and what everybody's into and how can we um, musically say that, you know? So in that way, the album has a lot of gore grind, has a lot of brutal death, it has a lot of death metal, has a lot of like beach ball riffs, as I like to call them, because I think of obscene extreme. And they'll be like, get, 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 you know, <laughs> and I, everybody's got beach ball and blow up dolls and sex dolls. And, you know, like, so there's, you know, at this point, there's a little bit of everything in there. Um, and yeah, it is, it is an intentional thing. Well, when you, when you initially came on my radar, I think it was probably your association with maggot stomp, which at the time be like, I, t- I would say, I mean, I listened to everything, but, I always say I'm like rooted in the hardcore scene and the hardcore scene really seemed to uh, embrace you guys. And I know that can be like a, there's like a weird gatekeeping thing to like the true death metal world and stuff that came from maggot stomp. I was talking to Kane from vomit forth a little bit about this too. Um, Did you guys experience that thing where it's like, they don't want to let you in the club? Yeah, a little bit. Um, it's it's a mixed bag because Devin had already had like a 
brutal death recognition with his band Limp Splitter, who has like Dan the drummer, is in uh, Regurgitation, which is like a staple brutal death metal band. So like Devin already had a little bit of like respect from the like elitist death metal, brutal death metal heads. And then with this band, yeah, the, there was totally like people aware of like Maggot Stomp's kind of cred for taking like younger crowd who's obviously hardcore inspired, who wants to do more like death metal type stuff. And, um, you know, in that way, though, like hardcore itself has its own kind of community that has its own kind of um, clout, I guess. And, you know, I think I think a lot of, you know, people were definitely aware that that was like what was happening with Maggot Stomp. And that definitely put some people's, uh, I don't know, put a bad taste in some people's mouth. I mean, we had a lot of people who were really down for us, but we also had some people were like, oh, that stuff's too simple. That's not real death metal. That's not this. That's not that. But, you know, I would say those kind of people who say like, that's not real death metal. I'm not going to that. Those are like people who probably don't even go to shows. And like, that's the thing about hardcore is it's so relevant right now that like even if you go to a brutal death metal show, there's going to be at least 40% of that crowd who is also in the hardcore community. And then if you go to a hardcore show, it's going to be, you know, maybe 1% of that community listens to brutal death metal or death metal or like elitist death metal, as you would call it. You know, a lot of those elitist guys are in it. They're not like a part of the scene. They're just like fans. And that's why they're so elitist about it because they're only, you know, they're there to make to choose the music for themselves and that's it them and their friends and I- I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. That's it. You know, but... um. We like obviously are all a little younger and we all grew up with hardcore and like the hardcore ethic is like definitely like the do it yourself and, you know, smaller clubs, smaller entities. I don't know. Like that was definitely what we were expect. Like that was how we expressed ourselves because first of all, we weren't a big band. And second of all, that's what all that's, you know, if you invite all of our friends to a show, 80% 80% of those kids are going to be hardcore kids, you know, like we're, mm-hmm. we're definitely not in a community that only listens to death metal. Now I would definitely say that Columbus, Ohio specifically has a sick death metal scene. They also have a sick hardcore scene and you know, that that's kind of intertwining itself, you know, but, um, 
But yeah, I mean, there was definitely people who were kind of like, this is not cool. And then there was even more people who were like, this is cool. And, you know, to be completely honest, um, the new album has tracks specifically for those people who think this is not death metal because um, we all, we all decided to kind of like, you know, show a little more of the serious side in multiple ways, especially musically. And, you know, for those people who maybe didn't like us because we were too simple and hardcore inspired, I would urge those people to check out narcissistic incisions, proclamation of the frail and, um, a lesson in savagery. And all those songs have intentional roots and brutal death metal, intentional roots and progressive death metal, um, and intentional, you know, this isn't for the person who's going to like just bob their head. It's more about the people who like to, you know, maybe the musicians in the crowd, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's, well, you said a lot of interesting things there. First being that breakdown of the swapping out of hardcore kids and death metal guys or whatever between shows that I think that was a very good observation and very important. Um, and I don't think it's always been that way. I, I used to, I used to think it was the opposite. I remember at one point when I was living in Baltimore, going to hardcore shows all the time and going to metal shows as well. I always felt like the metal shows is where people were having more fun and the hardcore shows were just dickheads, you know, and they were, they were my people, but they were, you know, we were just dickheads. It was less fun. Um, and it's interesting to think that maybe that has switched over the last decade or so. Uh, but, but what you're saying about homicidal ecstasy and the technical proficiency on display is absolutely true. And uh, it's it definitely seems like a, a really obvious step up in Sanguisugabog. Um, and I don't think that a lot of people, maybe they did, but maybe maybe some people didn't see it coming. Maybe some people were just expecting more of the same out of you guys. But I think it's a it's a pretty cool move. And being that, that you, as we talked about earlier, have your hands all over this and and have for a lot of the material from the band is uh what type of ownership do you take over these songs being that you're you know obviously doing songwriting but then you're doing the producing and engineering is it hard for you then at that point to take that and hand it off to i mean i know you're handing it to kurt Baloo, so it's not that big of a <laughs> it's it's hands that you can trust but is it hard for you to have other people get their hands on what you've created um yeah i mean there's definitely times where that's a problem um, or there's definitely times where I don't want to do that. But, um, luckily, like I have this kind of prestige within the band that is respected by my bandmates. Like they want to know what I think of their riffs. They want to know what I think would be best and they trust my decisions. And it, I think it's mainly just cause I've been playing music for a little longer and I've been producing and recording a little longer. And, um, it was also like, um, you know, when we had the lineup change, there was a difference in the roles of the band and how those were going to be constructed. And I just seemed to fit the bill for the most part, you know, I'm kind of trying to avoid it because we're trying to get away from the old lineup and what it stood for. And we're intentionally trying to promote this new lineup, you know, but just to put it simply, um, for pornographic seizures and tortured hole, Cameron had a big role in the writing process 
And um, they kind of started with his guitar riffs. And then it was up to me to use my drums to make these guitar riffs into listenable songs. And because of Cameron's proficiency or Cameron's understanding of music, it was hard for Cameron to digest any major change. So what I'm really trying to say is the way Cameron had the song, it was up to me as the drummer to figure out how that's going to feel right and how that's going to make the setup for the vocals correct. And then it was up to me to record it and realize it in the way that everybody wanted it to be realized. So that's why I had producing and engineering duties on the first album. Um, on the second album, though, losing Cameron, gaining Drew, which Drew originally was going to be just bass, but now we decided another aesthetic change where we have no bass player. Cedric and Drew both play guitar and bass. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but, you know, Cedric was on bass. Cedric moved to guitar before we got Drew. Now we have Drew. Now they're both playing guitar. So now I lost one guitar player and I gained two new guitar players in terms of songwriting. And, you know, I want their voice to be heard. They want their voice to be heard, but they're not the type of people who write entire songs. Cedric does. Um, Drew, not so much. And they both have with their other bands, but, you know, they, they both knew getting into this band that that wasn't their role. Their role was not to write the song entirely. Their role was simply to play guitar and come up with some badass riffs, you know? So when we started writing for homicidal ecstasy, it was like, okay, this isn't the Cody Davidson show. This isn't the like Cody now plays guitar because we're trying to figure out what we want to sound like or not, not guitar, but like, I shouldn't say play guitar, but write guitar riffs, you know, because that um, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But let me put it this way. The first song we wrote was Necrosexual Deviant. Cedric had just got promoted from bass to guitar. And that song is really just me and Cedric throwing riffs together before we had Drew in the band. And then I wrote Mortal Adonishment. Mortal Admonishment. Sorry. You had me fucking spell these words and I came and pronounced <laughs> my own band. Okay. So um, the second song we wrote was Mortal Admonishment. And that was the song I wrote by myself, trying to figure out and stretch what the sound was going to be and try to, like I was saying earlier, give a more serious approach to songwriting, a more serious approach to, um, you know, delivery in the sense of like how a riff sets up and how it goes into something else, you know. And... um, Basically, yeah, there was there was a struggle where I was like, okay, um, knowing that Cedric it mainly is comfortable providing riffs, and that's about it. Um, then it's up to me to kind of like turn this into a song and not just a riff salad. But I had already been kind of doing that, using my drums as my vehicle for that with Cameron. But in this scenario, now I'm playing guitar, like I'm writing riffs that I'm not going to perform, but I am going to write them to kind of help maybe like take Cedric's riffs and turn them into a whole song, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there was like a weird thing where I was trying to figure out like how I was going to do that, that and how much of that was going to be controlled by me and how much of that was going to be a thought out thing. Like uh, me trying to figure out what kind of sound I want to have now that I have this more um, freedom in the 
melodic side of the songwriting, you know, um, I'm trying to like say this and without using guitar player jargon, but, um, basically the first few songs, it was definitely like, shit, what are we going to sound like? And how's this going to go down? Well, when we got Drew in the band, Drew started throwing riffs that were a little more different, a little more challenging rhythmically. And, you know, I, I, I was kind of like, how am I going to make Drew's riffs, Cedric's riffs and Cody's riffs sound like, like a, like a, like, how am I going to find a cohesive sound in all of this? You know? So there definitely was like a struggle of like a little bit of control freak thing where like, Oh, well, that riff is like maybe going like not going in the right direction or that riffs a little too like bolt thrower or some shit like that, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely a struggle with that. And then I think it was actually Devin who was like, man, you guys are like freaking out way too hard about this. Like you guys are so badass that I don't think you guys need to talk too much about what his songs are going to sound like. I think you guys just need to write some songs and see what happens. And, um, it's definitely what it ended up happening. So like narcissistic incisions was, the first song I wrote with Drew and it has a little bit of Seds riffs in it too. And it immediately turned out to be our most complex defeated sanity inspired song, which was definitely a turn for the, um, Sanguasuga box sound, you know, and, and there was a song that we wrote, um, before that called permanently fucked that also had some defeated sanity, brutal death inspired aspects to it. And, you know, with that, there was definitely like, okay, this is, you know, this is accidentally turning into something a little bit different and we're just going to roll with it. So then it was like, you know, in terms of like me being a control freak or something like that, it, it was more about now it's like, okay, now I'm going to use your guys's input to kind of like intentionally take away that aspect of what I would normally do. So like, for example, I have some other bands like Volcano or Skag or Dyskinesia. And all those bands have a pretty obvious focus. Like Volcano is like New York death metal, um, beatdown inspired. Skag's like GV hyper grind shit. Dyskinesia is like brutal death metal worship, epi- epicardiectomy, cephalotripsy, stuff like that. Um, so then, like, you know, when it came to writing Sing Sugabog with these new bandmates and these new riffs it was like well shit like what's the direction going to be because like we clearly wanted to get away from the like caveman riffs as you would call it but we also Mm -hmm. wanted to um you know get more interesting for ourselves because we get bored pretty easily with stuff like that too you know like even though we all love death metal we all listen to everything else too so so anyways what i'm trying to say is that moving forward after we had those three songs, it was like, okay, how about we all just toss the guitar around, come up with some good riffs. And then it'll be my job to create the riffs that kind of glue your guys's riffs together and create a song. And the song, what it says is more about how it flows, not necessarily about, am I being gore grind enough? Am I being brutal death metal enough? Am I being OSDM enough? You know, like all those stresses and those control aspects of trying to control what your genre is and how you come off to people that I kind of had to let go of that. And I'm glad I did because once I started thinking that way, we wrote, we started writing songs like effortlessly. And I think, um, after we had those four songs, we wrote, we started getting together every weekend and we would write three songs in one weekend. 
And then the next weekend, three songs. And then this weekend, two songs. And then within two months, we had the whole album written. And like I said, I'm really glad I kind of like gave up on some of the control tendencies. But then it was like, okay, who's going to record this album you were talking about? Who's going to, you know, we sent it off to Kurt Ballou. And we, we wanted to record with Kurt Ballou, but um, their schedules didn't work out with that. So it was, you know, we were, we were like, well, we have a deadline now or not necessarily a deadline, but um, we had pressure from the label to like, produce something as fast as possible. And we were touring extens- like super extensively. And it was basically like, well, the only way we're going to get this out as soon as possible is if I record it. And if I don't mix it, because I, I'd like to take my time. So I was like, well, if Kurt can't record it, can he mix it? And that was a possibility with a time constraint. We had to do it immediately for him to mix it as well because his, his schedule is that busy. So, you know, we actually set up one time for Kurt to mix it and we dropped the ball. We didn't finish the record before that. So we went on a, a different tour and we went on tour with Terror. And, um, you know, we were kind of bummed. We were like, damn, like, we're, Kurt's not going to mix it. Um, we kind of like dropped the ball. Well, luckily, Kurt was, I think he had a different session fall through and he we were able to book a second chance basically. And that's what happened. And that, that, that made it work. And, you know, like I said, we, we consciously wanted to record with Kurt Blue mainly because he has, um, a more raw and organic sound. And he's also more forward thinking and production and bands that are unique, like a uh, cult leader or Gaza or like bands that have a little bit more of like a progressive thing. I know he hasn't had a whole lot of brutal death metal albums. So like for us, it was like, well, this will be a cool opportunity to not only hear what he does with that style, but also help us realize some of our new aesthetic choices, such as them both playing bass. That's actually how it was recorded on the album too. They don't, there is no real bass guitar. It's two guitars using pitch shifter pedals, put into distortion pedals, put into bass amps. And then that's what you're hearing. So like when you hear face ripped off, a good reason why the guitar or the bass tone is so gnarly is because it's actually two basses. You're hearing stereo bass. And that's not very common metal. Um, so that was something that was intentional. And we kind of felt like, you know, we've never done that before. We don't know anybody who's done that before. So who better to trust that with than somebody like Kurt Ballou, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I've, I think you're right. I don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head of brutal death metal bands that he's produced and had a hand in. So it would be cool to hear what, uh, what his touch on that sounds like. And the, uh, like you're talking about the no bass player, two bass player thing. How does that work live? Does, does everything just happen like you said it did right there? Yeah. So like, you know, that was definitely the thing where it was like, okay, we're going to do this. Well, we don't want the album to sound too different than the live thing. And that, that was another thing about using Cripple Blue. Like he's not, he's somebody who's not known for quantizing drums or sample or replacing. That's something being the drummer. That's something really important to me is like, I don't want to fake it. I want to, you know, the, the most I want to fake it is using a trigger. And, and to let people know that I use triggers, I actually ditched the bass drum entirely. So I use two electronic kick pads and that kind of lets everybody know, yeah, we're using triggers. I'm not going to hide it. Um, but that's the only thing that's, you know, that's happening. Um, and it doesn't mean that my performance is better. It just means that the kick drum always sounds death metal as fuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's an aesthetic decision to, you know, if we're going to make more brutal death metal inspired songs, well, like the big staple of the brutal death metal is the kick trigger. 
And um, that that's definitely was an intentional thing. But um, as far as the bass goes, that was another thing where it was like, well, we want this to be the way it sounds in live and not the way that we're going to do on the album for some particular reasons. So, um, so live, they both do the same thing. They both play out of a guitar rig and a bass rig. They're hard panned left and right. So whatever side of the stage you see Cedric on, that's how you're going to hear him coming out of the monitors. And, um, you know, we already tuned down to F, which is if you were to play bass guitar, it's like the first fret of a bass guitar. That's F. So you're only, you only have one note on a bass guitar that is not on our guitars. So what that means is we're tuned down to bass register. So then you go down another octave and that, that octave is felt more than it is heard. Like the frequencies are so low that our ears don't hear that as much. And, um, in that way, you know, when, if you were to play bass and you were to play chords, like power chords, it's a, it's a little harder to hear the note definition because of how low it is. Well, that's definitely something that happens here, but because the note definition is coming from the guitar amp itself, the bass is more of a, a big rumble and some high fizz that surrounds it, you know? So as <laughs> from an engineer's perspective, it's like, you, why do you need a bass player? Because that low end needs to be there. Well, if you just play guitars tuned to a bass, it doesn't sound that way. It doesn't feel that way and it doesn't hit the right way. So that's why we had to use the bass amps. And that's why that like justifies going down an octave again to kind of separate the bass notes from the guitar notes. So the guitar is tuned to a bass, but frequency wise, it doesn't actually rumble like a bass. The guitar is a mid-range instrument. The guitar cabinets and speakers are built for mid-range. So that's where the mid-range is. It's in the guitar. The low end and some of the extra high fizz, which is where you get the note definition, the note definition of the bass amp, um, that kind of surrounds it. So it's like a three-layered cake, as my friend Will likes to say. <laughs> I can't believe I just understood what you said. Because I'm not, not even any type of... <laughs> musician and you explained that well enough that I actually think I understand what you were saying there. So good job for you for, for breaking that yeah, down. Yeah, trying really hard impressive. too much jargon, but because of the, because of the roles that I play, I like, you know, it's impossible for impossible for me to not, you know, give it all away, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, there's a, there's been uh, obviously a lot of work and consideration to how this album came together and worked out so real simple question what are you most looking forward to with the release of it on february 3rd so i'm most interested in what people think of the songs that are not singles mm -hmm. um like i said earlier um narcissistic incision lesson of savagery proclamation of the frail these are all songs that we you know wanted to do in Sing Sugabog and kind of felt like maybe our fans weren't going to be cool with it. But then we were like, well, you know, we need to do this for the right reason. So we need to do this because this is what we want to do, not because we want to think too hard about what somebody's going to think of it and how we're going to be perceived. And, you know, that that's like the submission thing where it's like, well, how much do you want to submit and how much do you want to not do that? So, so I'm, I'm most interested to see what people think of us actually, you know, trying to be different, trying to give a style of brutal death metal that is unique and 
even though it plays off of some 90s influences and stuff like that. It also has like this new sound that is definitely inspired by some hardcore, some new metal even, um, you know, like Corn and Stained. Some of those earlier albums have some fucking heavy riffs, man. And if they're just presented to you in the right Right, if they're presented to you in the right way, maybe you'll think that too, you know. So that's that's definitely what we're um, trying to channel is how can we be a more interesting, brutal death metal band that is not so one-dimensional. And I, I hope it I hope it rolls out the way that we feel it like it will, you know, because mm-hmm. to some people it might be like, well, this is all over the place. Some other people might be like, this is everything I like. This is everything I like in music all at once. And that's definitely like, when I show my musician friends who also write songs, that's what that's what their feedback is. They're like, damn, this is like everything I love about Brutal Death, everything I love about Hardcore, everything I love about Grindcore, all at the same time. And that's that's what we want to say. That's that's what we want to come off as. So I'm, that's what I'm most eager. Well, that's, that's certainly high praise, having it all there in one spot. And I notice with these songs that you're talking about, the ones that you keep pointing out, that you want people to hear or that, you know, the technical proficiency is a little higher on them. They all seem to be from the back half of the record or most of them. Um, Is that, was that sequencing intentional to have maybe something that's a little different for Sanger Bog towards the back? Yeah, totally. Um, You know, it was like, we all really like albums that just come out and spray all over your face. So yeah. that's how we wrote Uningest. And that's how we felt Minstrel Envy, the first album or the first song on Tortured Hole came out. So we wanted that aspect again. We we think that's the best way to encapsulate your audience. And that also is something we learned from playing a lot of live shows and touring is like, you know, if you come out and people have to think a little too hard, like say we play some new songs that nobody's ever heard of, well, the response you get from the crowd, you know, if you play something like your most technical, crazy song and they've never heard it before, they're going to just look at you because they're trying to process it all. They're trying to take it all in. So it's yeah. definitely intentional to um, put some of the singles and some of the more easier swallowed songs at the front. Um, and then, you know, we also hate when we put some, you know, as artists, we put a lot of work into an album, maybe want to epic closer and then that's not even realized because people don't people's attention spans right now are a little different than they used to be i guess like if you go to spotify you go to any album there's going to be a very obvious curve of the first few songs are going to be played a lot the last four songs are not going to be played at all so that's why Mm -hmm. there's another and it happens to be at the very end of the album and that's another effort for us to be like well if you go to the very end of the album then you're it's like i don't know it's like you got a prize like you know what you're gonna get you know what i mean there's a chocolate center at the bottom of the cone and you know and you want it you want to fucking get to that place you know so um so I, I don't know you you when you say they're at the back half for me they're in the middle um now okay. maybe it's because of the ones i named but um for me personally, it's like the first three songs are some more heavy hitting, easier to swallow, hardcore inspired songs. And then you get to Testicular Rot. And Testicular Rot is a more, it's a little slower, 
it's um, a longer song and it's more of a ride. It's it more it's more of a story. It takes you somewhere, you know. And then and then it kind of like with the, as you go into the album, it was intentional to be like, okay, you start out and here's familiar, and then you spoon feed some uh, you know something that's a little different, and then before you know it, you're smack dab into Nowhereville or um, I don't know rock bottom on SpongeBob. You know, before you know it. <laughs> You're somewhere we didn't even know you were going there, you know? And then, mm-hmm. you know, to keep your interest, we kind of pull you back out with some familiarity. And that that was definitely a conscious decision. That's very cool. I like it. I like it. I've, I've, I've listened. I got to tell you, I think I've mentioned it, but I've listened to the album a whole bunch because I've had it for a while, you know, the, the promo. And I, and I definitely enjoy it more than I have all, all the other stuff. And I like the other stuff. So I, I think it's, it's a very cool a very cool record and i think i think the people who i don't know i don't i don't know what somebody's going to have to complain about now you know like it, like what's what's the complaint going to be there will be something for sure uh cuz i think you're just that type of band that's always going to have people who hate you guys for whatever reason but uh but i think it's pretty awesome yeah i mean bad, bad press is good press in our eyes you know that's right uh you're going on tour with this april with Dying Fetus, Suicide Silence, and a whole bunch of others. Where do those two bands land on you per, for personal significance? Because I feel like for certain people of certain era, they're a very important band and for and and also not. So for like you personally, Dying Fetus, Suicide Silence, where does they where do they land for you? Well, um personally, they both are bands that I've known about since I was in middle school. Um I I I will I want to say I know more about Dying Fetus than I do Suicide Silence, but I would be lying if I say I know more about death metal than I knew about deathcore. Because when I was in eighth grade, you know, Oceana just came out, Born of Osiris, who's also on that tour. Yeah. Those yeah. were like, I live that's away from this venue and I would walk to this venue to go watch deathcore bands when I was 13 years old, <laughs> you know? So I never saw Suicide Silence, but bands like that where you know that's what everybody was talking about that's what everybody's listening to that's what everybody wanted to be you know um one of my first bands as guitar player um or deathcore bands so Hmm. i mean in general bands like suicide silence have always been on my radar and it's definitely like something that i had to grow out of you know in some kind of way because when you're younger and you're a musician you want to be liked by your friends and everybody's listening to deathcore well, I'm like a hair metal prog dude. You know, I, I grew up on Iron Maiden. I grew up on Rush. I grew up with Dream Theater. I grew up with Ozzy Osbourne. You know, that that's like, for me personally, that's where I was from. But as a 13-year-old, nobody wants to hear that shit. No, you know, everybody wants to hear yeah. breakdowns. Everybody wants to hear fast double bass and Brie Brie, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So that that's definitely you know like i'm actually excited to see born of osiris because that was a band that i was really into when i was you know 13 14 and it's kind of like this realization moment of like oh i'm 27 and i'm going on tour with bands that i've known about for over 10 years already you know so that's pretty fucking cool um however you know stylistically now you know um dying fetus is definitely a band that we like a lot more and mm-hmm. feel like we're inspired by more. And we've also all been watching and listening to them from that era too, you know? 
um, specifically like, you know, Metal Injection uses one of their songs as their uh, intro music. So like that song in particular, I've heard a million times just from watching interviews of bands on YouTube, whether they're metal bands or not, you know? So, um, it's definitely, it's definitely a realization moment. Like I said, of like, Oh, like finally have a musical career where I'm kind of like checking off my bucket list, you know? So there you have it. That was my conversation with Cody Osang with Sugabog. The song you just heard at the end was Face Ripped Off, which, of course, we commented on the gory video that is up now available on YouTube. NSFW. Not allowed to watch that one at work, apparently, but it is it is pretty gruesome. Pretty cool, though. Uh, and I uh, am queasy about that type of stuff. So if I can make it, can make it through it, so can you.
I want to thank Cody for his time and for participating in my stupid game. And of course, Nicholas from Bedtime Magic from coming on to retain and defend his title. Again, Sanguasugabog's new record, Homicidal Ecstasy, will drop February 3rd on Century Media Records. So that will be available essentially everywhere you can imagine. You can get a new record, digital and physical of all formats. As usual, I'm going to remind you to go to gettingitout.net. Check out what's going on there. Daily news, reviews, videos, other things. Of course, the home for the podcast. If you're looking in the review section, you'll see the latest one from Rick, our resident death metal expert. His last one was on ominous scriptures, rituals of self-ignition, which comes out January 27th, this Friday on Willow Tip Records. So that's the way I'm going to end this with the title track from that record, Rituals of Mass Self-Ignition. This is Ominous Scriptures. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.